Well, welcome again to Grace Ann Arbor. My name is John Compton. I am uh, the church planting resident here at Grace. Uh, my family and I, we've been here about a year and a part of a two-year process, which means about this time next year, we'll hopefully be moving, um, which sounds terrible, but uh, moving always is. But we'll be moving to something exciting to start a new church somewhere in the Detroit area. And one of my big goals for this church is quite simply that, that the community in which we are planted would be glad that we're there. Uh, along those same lines, I hope that, that those who attend and are, are regulars at the church, that their, their neighbors and coworkers and friends are glad to know them. Uh, and this, honestly, sometimes when I talk about this, like it feels like a low bar. Like It feels like something so easy for a church and a community of faith to do. It is to, it's just for people to be glad that they're there. But we often know uh, from personal experience and stories that we've heard that this isn't always the case, that often churches are sometimes just unknown in their community, that they've kind of walled themselves in, keep to themselves, and so they're unknown. Or other times they're known uh, not for good that they do, not for things, but, but known for their potential, their disdain for others. And this image of the church is greatly uh, highlighted and the topic that we're looking at this morning, which is communication. Right? Churches are often notorious for being bad at communication. And not just like communicating like news and events, although churches typically aren't very good at that either. Um, we're trying. Uh, but churches are, are known, right? I mean, I'm sure all of us have potentially heard or been a part of some sort of ridiculous thing where you're like, wow, did, did that really erupt off of the paint color of some room in some building of the church? Or if you haven't heard that, maybe you've encountered people who are churchgoers and, and they speak pleasant words maybe to people's faces, but you've also seen them kind of spit venom behind their backs. And I would imagine that there are some here today, and you're here because you're, you're curious and you're exploring Christianity, but you are hesitant to, to come because you've seen this. You've seen uh, what Jesus would call bad fruit of speech in the lives of people and it's made you hesitant to explore Christianity. So this morning, I plan to show as clearly as I can the connection between the gospel of Jesus and the words we speak in our daily lives. And my hope is that Jesus himself would draw us to him, whether for the first time or again, through his spirit, that we would have our lives rooted and planted in him that we would speak fruit, good fruit, for this world that God loves. But first, let me pray for us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you have brought us here this morning. You have gathered us. We come to celebrate you and what you have done. And so, God, we ask that you would move in our hearts, that you would transform our lives, that you would reveal your truth to us, because we are desperate for your mercy. We are in need of you. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand as we read God's word? Our passage is from Matthew's Gospel, and this is Jesus speaking. Jesus says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? 
For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. You may be seated. As I read this passage, the question that popped to my mind, right, is, am I a good tree or a bad tree? And Jesus says, you know the tree by its fruit. And before we dive into to how that works out, the, the question that I then wondered is like, well, that seems unfair. That, that seems wrong, right? Like if you evaluate an apple tree based on its apple, that, that makes sense, right? It's an apple tree. Sure, the apple tree does other things, like maybe it provides shade, and it has like wood that you can burn or, or maybe make something out of. But at the end of the day, you want an apple tree that makes good apples. And Jesus is saying that an apple to an apple tree is what our words are to our lives. And that seems maybe unfair, maybe a little off. Like we do so much in our lives. Like aren't we worth more than, than what we say? Isn't there something of greater value? And beyond that, isn't it true that we're often warned to avoid the reverse, right? To, to not be people who simply say the right thing, but then never do the right thing. So what's going on here? Well, words matter so much because in a world that is often a sea of rejection, words either sink us further into the muck or make us buoyant to rise again. And we see this as we look at the setting that Jesus is teaching. In this section of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus has been going around and teaching to crowds, as he does, but it's been a little different. It, he has some contentious uh, observers in the crowd. There are these Pharisees and scribes, and these are the kind of religious leaders. These are the people who have all the degrees, that know the right answer, that have the right theology, and they are grilling Jesus to see if he is right, if he knows his stuff. And the crowd that's not Pharisees and scribes, they have mixed feelings towards the Pharisees and scribes. Because on one hand, they respect them because they're these religious leaders. At the other time, they kind of disdain them. Because the words of these religious leaders often are an oppressive weight on their shoulders that crush them. Jesus, in fact, later says this to the crowds about the Pharisees and scribes. He says, the teachers of the law, the scribes, and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. So Jesus, when he calls out these brood of vipers, he's speaking to the Pharisees and scribes because their words have been crushing these people. Have you ever received words that have weighed you down? I'm currently listening to a book by uh, Brene Brown, uh, and she recounts this kind of painful story of her summer before her freshman year of high school. Her family had just moved back to Texas, and she uh, decided to try out for the dance squad for high school. 
And this is a big deal on multiple fronts. So she's new to the area again. She is desperate for friends. And she knows that if she makes the dance squad, they, she will immediately kind of be in with this group of people. Now, she's actually a good dancer. She's done dance her whole life. And so she tries really hard. And she wants to get in, not just to make friends, but because this is Texas. And the dancers dance at football stadiums. And Texas in football is a big deal. So she'll be dancing in these full crowds, she'll have great friends, and so she tries and practices really hard. And then she shows up on the day of the audition, and she's kind of in regular, like, athletic clothes. And all the other girls are in some sort of coordinating pattern of school colors, and they have school color ribbons in their hair, and she didn't know. She's like the only one of like 100 girls who is in regular clothes. And so she dances, and does the dance very well. And then four hours later, she comes back with her family to look at the results. And she goes up, and she sees nothing. Her name is not on the list. She doesn't make the team. Now, that's painful enough, but then what happens next makes it worse. Is she goes back to her car, and her family actually leaves from there to go visit some grandparents about four hours away. And they ride in silence. Her parents don't encourage her, they don't console her, because her parents, she says, are disappointed in her. And so she started that day believing that she belonged and was accepted in her family, hoping to expand this group that accepted and loved her to maybe some friends at school. And she ended the day feeling like she wasn't accepted anywhere. Right? Because these words have the power to sink us in a world that is often a sea of rejection. But words can also make us buoyant. Right, when I left the church I'd served, my first church I'd ever served at, after being there for four years, one of the nicest things they ever did was they invited people to uh, write a bunch of thank you notes uh, for the work that I had done. And I'll be honest, when they handed me this notebook of thank you notes, I was too bitter to read it. I was really upset about leaving but as years went by, particularly when we were moving, I found this, this book of cards. And reading through these encouraging words, they have this ability to cause you to rise. Have you, can you remember a time when somebody's words caused you to kind of pull you out of your despair? And so as we consider this reality, all of us have deep power, great power within us by our words that we can unleash on others to either cause them to sink deeper into the muck or cause them to be buoyant, to rise. So yeah, I think it is fair that apples are to trees what our words are to us. So again, the question becomes, am I a good tree or a bad tree? And Jesus says, well, you'll know what kind of tree you are by looking at your fruit. Right? And so if you think about this and you kind of look at your words, right, that's one way to assess it. But that's, that's missing the point because how do you assess fruit? You eat it. I'm not going to eat this. That would cause some difficulty. But for our words, right, we don't eat our own words. Those around us eat our words. And so if you want to know what kind of tree you are, what kind of fruit you're producing, is look at the impact of your words on those around you. And this is something that we've all experienced. We've all been on the receiving of this, end of this 
at the very least, with our own parents. I'll never forget this, this image from the, the TV show Modern Family, where the mom talks about raising uh, teenagers, and she has this great kind of metaphor that she uses to explain it. She says, raising kids, it's kind of like getting them ready to go on a mission to go around the moon. Right? So in their early years, you're at home, and it's like base camp, and you're training them to do all these things. And then eventually, after a time, you kind of send them off, and they start their journey. And she talks about it. It's like going off to kindergarten. You send them off, but you're still in communication with them. You're still talking to them all the time. But she says something eventually happens where people go around the backside of the moon, and communication is lost. Typically, like high school age, maybe college. And she says, though, that if you do the front end well, if you communicate well, if you train well, that eventually, and if you don't panic too much, eventually they'll come back around the backside of the moon. And I would imagine that most of us had gone through this experience with our own parents, right? Where there was a time where we cut off communication to them, whether high school, college, grad school, whatever, and whether or not we came back, the primary uh, reason why we would come back was based on the quality of their fruit. Did they speak words that nourished our souls? And if they didn't, we probably have a strained relationship. And if they did, we've probably reached out to them. Because we know the quality of our words by their impact and not our intent. Now, this may seem obvious, but, but this is something that is obvious in other areas, but we almost always, at least I always, get this wrong when it comes to words. Right? Today, as we leave, you will probably, there's enough people here, some of us will accidentally bump into somebody else. We will not intend to do it, and when we do this, we will say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to bump into you. But you'll apologize, you'll own it, that was my fault. But when it comes to words, we rarely do this. Right? I catch myself all the time. If somebody comes to me and is like, hey, when you said that, that hurt me, my default response is, well, I didn't intend to hurt you. That's your problem. But that's not how words work. Words are measured by their impact, not their intent. Now, there are rare occasions where impact and intent are very different. Right? I had a friend recently tell me about early in his marriage, he came home and his wife asked him, hey, how was your day? And he goes, oh, it was fine. She was concerned. She goes, oh, it was fine. Well, what happened? And he didn't understand that she had grown up in a family like maybe some of us have, that it's fine is actually code for it's not fine. It was terrible. Um, and you got to sort that out. But most of the time, impact and intent aren't that different. But more times than not, our impact is on top of our intent and may cloud our intention. So for me, something that I've been told throughout my life from roommates, from uh, coworkers, friends, and now family members is that I sometimes say the technically the right thing. There is nothing wrong with what I am saying. But often I can say it in such a mean and demeaning way that it ruins my intent and the impact is so great. It's far greater than what I want it to be. The example of this right now in my life is with my, my children as I try to encourage them to eat breakfast faster and, and under an hour. Um, if you don't have kids under five, you don't understand this, but it's surprising how long you try to usher them along. And while I, I intend to just kind of get them going, my wife kindly but firmly reminded me, 
she's like, you know, John, sometimes you talk to them like they're dogs. And that's, that's not a good thing. You know, that's, that, that is the result of bad fruit in my life. Because our words are measured by their impact, not our intention. And so the big question is, how do we change our words? How do we change our words? Well, we can become like Thumper. Does anybody remember Thumper's advice when it comes to words? Come on, from Bambi. Come on, say it loud. If you don't have nothing nice to say, don't say nothing at all. That's right. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. I don't know if that was the southern version or I remember something. There's a lot of don't nothings in there, but if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Right? And this is a default pat, pat answer, and there's nothing wrong with it, but we want more than that. Right? We want more. Like maybe you're like me, and often you catch the bad, your bad fruit is words of anger. And it's helpful, and there are things that you can find out and little tips and tricks about how to you know, count to four or how to take some deep breaths as you're angry so your anger doesn't come out. And those are great. But I, I don't want to waste your time with things you can Google, with little tips and tricks that you can find. Right? I, I want to make this connection between the gospel of Jesus and our words. And this is it. So for the, at least this past year, if not longer, God has really been diving into my life to address this, these words of anger that come out of me. And on one hand, these tips and tricks, I don't want to diminish them. They're very helpful. I have a book on anger management at my house right now that I read from time to time. And what it does is it keeps me from falling off the edge in my anger. As I'm here and I'm getting ready to fall off into anger, it will help me to take deep breaths and count to four, and I step away from the edge. But I don't want to be somebody who lives on the edge. I want to be somebody who's not struggling to fight angry words all the time. I want to be somebody who, as our text talks about, is producing good fruit for those around me. And the key to this is in verse 35, when Jesus says, the good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man out of his evil treasure what is evil. And so the root of our words is what we treasure. And so to change what we speak, we have to change what we treasure. And so our words are measured by their impact, not our intention, and changed by our treasure. A few years ago, I was uh, working at a small dying church in upstate New York, and this may be news to you, but some churches are set up where what the pastor wants, he, he doesn't always get. That sometimes there's a board that basically what the board decides the pastor is supposed to do. And I was at a church that was set up like that, and it was rough. This church had been in decline for decades, was really small, and they were, these meetings were, were brutal, where I would suggest something new and they would say, well, we've never done that before, so we're not going to do it. Or I'd suggest to stop doing something that we've been doing and isn't working and kind of a waste of time. They go, well, we've always done that, so we should keep doing it. Um, one time, I, I kid you not, we, uh, we had a sign by our road, and we had Christmas Eve coming up, and I wanted to move the service earlier than what it had been. And they said, no, 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 the community is expecting us to have the service at 7 p.m., it's like, this is Christmas Eve. They come once a year. There is no way they have jotted in their calendar 7 p.m. Christmas Eve. But I lost that battle as well. Anyways, 
the, the point of this is, is if I'm honest though, as much as I like to blame them for the dysfunction, I am, was part of the dysfunction. Because there were times when I wasn't treasuring God, where I wasn't treasuring Christianity, where I wasn't treasuring the mission of the church, I was treasuring my own success. And as soon as I felt like they were hindering my ability to be successful or to look successful, I would lash out in anger. And that would hinder the work of the church. So how do we change what we treasure? Well, treasure can be a noun and a verb. And to treasure something is to view it as precious or to store it up for future use. So you think of treasuring success we view it as precious. We read stories of successful people, but we also store it up for future use. We kind of bankroll these past successes. We even imagine, we even kind of like take loans on potential future success to make us, ourselves feel better. We can do this with approval, where we store up past approval that we've gotten, and we can imagine what will happen if we get the right job, if we have the right spouse, if we have the great family. We can imagine the approval that we'll get. And we start to store these things up, but if we don't get them, bad fruit will come out. The good news of Jesus is this, is that he connects us to the greatest treasure of all, which is the God of the universe. The God we just sang about, who is more beautiful than all the things of the world, who is more powerful, who, who created the galaxies and the universe and spread it all before us in all of its awe and wonder. This God who is so gracious and compassionate, who when the world was marred by sin, he took on human flesh and Jesus Christ, revealing God's true nature to us in himself. This same Jesus who confronted the Pharisees and scribes and all those who desire to speak words that oppress us and weigh us down. And Jesus whose very words were words that were rich, and nutritious for our souls, and give us eternal life. This same Jesus who would hang on the tree of the cross, that all who would come to him would be able to feast on the fruit of the kingdom of God. God is the greatest treasure. And so if our words are measured by their impact and changed by our treasure, let us treasure God himself. So what kind of fruit do you have? What kind of fruit are your words? Are people coming to you in times of encouragement? Are they coming to you as they are struggling with life? And when you're in places where bad fruit is showing up, the question is, what is the root of my bad fruit? What are you treasuring? Is it your success? Is it your sense of control? Is it your image? And what would it look like for you to turn from that and to dig your roots into the wellspring that God offers to us in Jesus Christ, the greatest treasure of all? And as you do this, your words will change. Notice again Jesus' last verse here. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now this may be confusing, because on one hand, the, the, the true teaching of Christianity is that we are justified by our faith in Jesus Christ. 
But it's saying here that we're justified by our words. So what's going on here? So you see, this act of being justified, of placing our faith in Jesus and being made right in God's sight, it's not just a ticket to heaven, but it's a beginning transformation process. God's justifying work in us by Jesus continues to change us and shape us and mold us. Paul writes to the church in Philippi that God who began a good work in you will carry it out until the day of completion. And so what this means for our words is that God himself has promised to uproot us and to plant us by the waters of God's grace and mercy, to make us good trees that produce good fruit that provides nourishment for the whole world, that indeed on the last day we would be justified by our words. Let me pray for us. Good and almighty God, we thank you so much that you promise to change us, to transform us, that you will uproot us and plant us by streams of living water, that we would be transformed, that our words would change. And so, God, we ask that your spirit would make these truths sink deep into our hearts and to our lives, that we would leave here changed and that the world would be impacted by the words that we speak for your glory and for our sake. Amen.